Hi, and welcome to the Your Voice for Business podcast, brought to you by the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber of Commerce. In each episode, we'll bring you helpful information and positive inspiration from the people who power Southwest Michigan's business community. From profiles on professionals to insight on issues, we are curating the content you need to know. Ignite your growth with the Your Voice for Business podcast, brought to you by the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber. Stay tuned because another great episode is coming up. Hello and welcome. I'm Arthur Havlicek, your host for this episode of the Your Voice for Business podcast with the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber of Commerce. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Al Pishalka, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Conexus Group. Al joined Conexus in 2018 after serving as State Budget Director for Governor Rick Snyder. Prior to that, he served three terms in the Michigan House of Representatives, including a term as Chairman of the Powerful House Appropriations Committee. Al was a key legislative leader in the Michigan comeback, authoring 64 public acts in his six years in office. He was also involved in the state's redistricting process back in 2010, the last time electoral district boundaries were redrawn by the Michigan legislature. Now that Michigan's congressional, state Senate, and state House district lines are being redrawn again, we thought we'd bring him on to talk about how the process has changed and what it means for Southwest Michigan. So without further ado, let's jump on in. Al, Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Arthur, great to be with you, and uh, this is an interesting topic. A little controversy here. As you know, I mean, this is a topic that historically has been controversial in Michigan going back to the 20s and 30s, and it was changed back in the 1960s when we redid our Constitution in Michigan. We actually set up an eight-member, supposedly independent, four Democrats, four Republicans, we're on the redistricting commission set up by the state constitution. How did it work? It didn't. They deadlocked in the 70s. They deadlocked in the 80s. And then the legislature was given that power for 1990, 2000, and 2010. Now that changed in 2018 with the, the constitutional amendment that the folks voted on mm-hmm. to set up this independent commission. So fascinating topic. It's politics. Yes, it's a legal process. It's got to be fair. It's certainly with controversy. And the, the maps that have just come out will generate a lot of, I think, talk around town, but talk around the state. And I think you'll probably see lawsuits and everything else. So a great topic to, to chat with you about. It's certainly relevant. Um, and, and given your background, you've had to pay far closer attention to political boundaries than the average Joe. Um, and you were part of the process back in 2010. So why don't we talk about what that was like you know, as a legislator, how it used to yeah. work, and then we'll get into how it's changed. I'll tell you what, in 2010, I lost a, lost a really good township <laughs> in redistricting. I mean, I, in my 79th, the old 79th district, Sodas Township was probably 80% Republican, and I had that line drawn out. I lost Sodas Township and didn't pick up anything else. So it made my district a little bit weaker. And that's what tends to happen with these things. But back in 2010, um, I did not have any policy committees. I was on appropriations. And um, we had a Republican member be recalled from office, Paul Scott from Grand Blank. And the speaker came to me and said, hey, we need you to pick up some of his workload and we'd like you to go serve on elections. And this was right in the middle of redistricting. 
We were also voting on things, uh, non-controversial things like voter ID, having a picture ID. So I, I, I did get to see this process in action. It is fascinating because you've got federal standards, Voting Rights Act. You've got Michigan standards, which are called the APOL standards, which were set back in the 80s. And you kind of layer these together to make sure that you have districts that were contiguous, that were fair, that you weren't uh, slicing and dicing up precincts and municipalities. That was part of these standards. You were tried to make them as tightly compact as you could. And then put on top of that, Arthur, some very strict federal standards in the Voting Rights Act where you have majority minority districts. And back in 2010, um, as we were working on these maps, and there were lawyers in there for the Democrats, lawyers for the Republicans, it was a fair and legal process, and eventually a a very open process, because we had to talk about these maps in committee. They were brought to the floor. People voted on them. We debated them. There was bipartisan support back in 2010 for these maps. One of the interesting things that's happening now, there are some Uh, complaints from the east side of the state, from Democrats, primarily in the Detroit area, who claim that these maps that just came out a couple weeks ago violate the Voting Rights Act, that there are not as many uh, majority-minority seats as there were in 2010. And that's true. Um, As I recall, we had 17 majority-minority seats. That was Detroit, Flint, Saginaw. The way that they've kind of carved up the map this time is think about cutting a piece of pie. And if you're in Detroit, the pie shape goes from the middle of Detroit out as a triangle and starts to encompass the suburbs. So you've got Detroit seats that are now part of Oakland County, part of Macomb County, part of areas that were not represented traditionally by Detroit lawmakers. And you've seen a lot of complaints and actually a lawsuit already filed by Democrats in Detroit saying there's a violation of the Voting Rights Act. I think there's a a big misconception about how this process has worked, how easy it is to draw these lines. You just laid out all the different elements that you need to consider um, and all the different laws that you need to follow. And and I think this Citizens Commission sort of took it for granted. Um, And I know that they've complained about a lack of data and and being able to make some of these decisions, but clearly how they've drawn these maps, both uh, all three, the Congressional, State Senate, State House, we have seen a huge um, cutback on the number of majority-minority communities. I think that uh, in in Congress, we went from at least two to zero. Yeah. I think in the state Senate, we went from about six or seven mm-hmm. also to zero. Yeah. And uh, there were double digit in the House prior. Yeah. And that's been cut down to six, which are shocking numbers. Um, and exactly what you don't want to happen, no matter where you live or who you are or what you look like. Yeah. And it's hard to believe here we are in 2022 talking about that, right? I mean, that, that should be a no brainer. Um, And that's the basis of the Voting Rights Act itself. So I I believe that that the the folks in Detroit have a legitimate complaint. I don't know if we'll see the court step in and actually 
rewrite rewrite maps and change the lines. I don't know if that'll happen. It's happened back in the in the 70s and 80s, but recently, and different states do this different ways, and in defense of the independent commission, you had four Democrats, four Republicans, five independents. These are people who had not lived and breathed this type of stuff, coming in without any institutional knowledge, um, setting up offices, hiring people to do this work. And I thought one of the great quotes in this whole process, and I watched some of the, the meetings and hearings, we had hearings all over the state, was when the chairman said, wow, this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> it is. I mean, this is not, it's not easy It's work. not easy. There's a lot of data. You've got to understand municipalities. This whole notion of communities of interest was played up big this time. And I think if you look at one of the seats here uh, just in southwest Michigan, it was kind of my old legislative seat, which um, was St. Joe, Benton Harbor, kind of northern central Berrien County. Um, that was carved up into four counties. So it actually goes from New Buffalo all the way up to just uh, to Douglas in Allegan County. So that's 75 miles. My old district was 13 communities that had a lot in common, right? You had an ag sector. Mm-hmm. You had an, and, and I used to jokingly tell people, look, if you want to take a snapshot of Michigan, look at the 79th district. That's right. We've got an urban area. We've got a suburban area. We've got a Fortune 150 company. We've got um, agriculture and we've got tourism. In that district, you've got a microcosm of Michigan. And now that's been split up you know, across four counties and where I might have been able to go to Representative Nesbitt or Representative Tyler or Pagel or Representative Janetsky and have four votes on something along the lakefront. Now you've got one vote. So you're going to lose some of that political clout when those maps are drawn a certain way. And I look at this new 38th district and I think, okay, yeah, I do see some similarities between New Buffalo and Douglas and South Haven and St. Joseph. And yes, they're lakefront communities. And yes, we have erosion. And yes, we have high water. But are they all that similar? Um, and we're cutting up across precincts and boundaries and counties. And, and part of Bar- Berrien County is going to be carved into to three state house districts, two congressional races, two uh, state Senate seats. Mm-hmm. And we start to lose a little bit of clout that way. I agree. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of the feedback um, regarding that, that Lakeshore district, which for listeners picture an upside down staircase, it just kind of steps its way up from New Buffalo all the way to just south of Saugatuck and Douglas. Uh, I've seen a lot of folks uh, say, okay, good. You know, the lake issues, erosion issues, they'll have a voice in the legislature. They'll have, one. A, they'll have a voice. <laughs> and that's the, the simple fact is it will. It'll have one. And in Lansing, it's a numbers game. You're one of, in the House, 110. You want to build coalitions of support around certain issues. And you went from having four votes on that potential issue down to one. You've, you've weakened your, your buying strength, essentially. And that's what I think folks don't get when they look at these maps. Let me give you a, a, a practical thing that actually did happen. And this was my freshman term in the legislature. We had a really bad freeze in Southwest Michigan. And I mean, it was a bad freeze, historic. 
um, where our farmers lost basically everything in, in a matter of 10 days. Um, we had to go to the legislature and the governor and ask for an appropriation of $10 million to help get fruit farmers, primarily in southwest Michigan, a little bit up north, but primarily in southwest Michigan, to make sure that they could be kept whole and those farms wouldn't go away. Uh, Jokingly, the speaker called it fruit tarp, Pashoka's fruit tarp. Hmm. But who did I call? First call I made was to my colleague, Sharon Tyler. And we got Sharon on board, Eric Nesbitt to my north, Bob Janetsky to my north in, in, in the Saugatuck area. So we had four votes right there. Two of us were on appropriations at the time. Then we went to Ray Franz up in Ludington and Wayne Schmidt in Traverse City. And boom, we built a very good coalition. And we were able to secure those dollars and help those family farmers down in southwest Michigan. So, yes, these lines where they're drawn um, the makeup of the legislature in those districts is, is important, and that's just you know, one example of, of, of where that came into play. And in, in some ways, because we're going from two state reps, at least in Berrien County, to three, one state senator to two, um, one congressman to two, we might have some of, those, some of that numbers game improve in our favor, potentially. But the other side of that is that there's also a likelihood that no one that represents Berrien County will live in Berrien County. will understand the issues, right? <laughs> it, it, it is. I live in Lincoln Township. So um, I am now, according to the new lines, I will be in Congressman Wahlberg's district and the congressional district will go from New Buffalo, Berrien County, all the way over to Monroe, 10 counties along the Southern tier, along the borders of Ohio and Indiana. My county commissioner, Bob Harrison, will actually be in a different congressional district. They've split Lincoln Township in half. I mean, just the cutting of one of the things we were told back when I was on that committee was keep municipal boundaries whole. Now, you can imagine if you're a local clerk and one side of Ridge Road is in the fourth congressional district and the other side of Ridge Road is in the fifth, how do you make sure you get the right ballots to the right people? This is going to cause a lot of confusion. Folks are not going to know which district that they're in. Um, You're going to have members who are going to be trying to learn new areas. Uh, I look at our Senate district, which um, in 2010, we we drew the map that had Berrien, Cass, and St. Joseph counties. Whole Whole counties. Whole counties. Not parts of counties, not precincts or municipalities cut in half. That same seat today is seven counties with parts of Jackson, parts of Hillsdale, parts of Calhoun, um, areas that have never been represented by that particular senator. If you're that senator or you're that representative, you're going to probably have to spend a lot of time in that new area. Maybe you're not paying as much attention to Berrien County or where you're from. I mean, it's only natural. You've only got so many hours in a day, so many events that you can go to, so much work and constant work that you can do. Um, you're going to spend a lot of time learning that new area. Um, and you're going to see, I think, um, people moving. You're going to see people moving to different um, districts. Uh, there's going to be a lot of confusion. Well, and, and I think for candidates that are looking to run, you know, there's always a massive educational curve, no matter how long you've lived in a community. 
Um, you could be born and raised in Bridgman, for example, lived there your whole life. That does not immediately mean you know anything about white pigeon, right? <laughs> right. I that's mean, that's right. Uh, how many listeners can immediately point to where white pigeon is <laughs> on the map. Or Vandalia. So exactly. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it, even if you've been immersed in your community for your entire life, potentially even your professional career, you usually spend the first part of your term, whether it's one year, two years, four years, learning, learning about the district, learning who you know the community leaders are, the stakeholders are, what the issues are, and then you're up for re-election right. immediately. And this takes that educational curve, which is already drinking through a fire hose yep. and exacerbates it further. Yeah. And I remember when I first got to Lansing and, and, some folks asked me, well, do you want to run for leadership in your first term? And I said, no. I said, what I want to do in my first term is I want to do a really good job serving my district. I want to do a really good job back home. And I want to become an expert in a part of state government so that I can be a resource to my colleagues, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And my thing was, hey, let's get involved in the budget of course, we had Harry Gast here, who was one of my mentors and mentored me on the budget for years before I got there. So that was really my focus was, okay, do a really good job back home. Make sure that you're back in the district. Make sure that um, you're doing the kind of constituent service that people have come to expect in this area. And John Prose did a great job on that before I got here. So that was the, that was the focus. And then look to move up, get involved in leadership, help others. Um, that's, that's probably a good ticket. So if folks are looking to run for office, um, yeah, these lines really do make a difference because now you may be from a certain part of Berrien County and you may have to represent someplace in Allegan mm -hmm. that maybe you're not familiar with. Or, I mean, even the differences sometimes between New Buffalo and St. Joe, they're not exactly the same, right? I mean, St. Joe is, yes, got a tourist component, but it's more of a year-round town. New Buffalo's issues are more touristy, um, you know, so to speak. And so it's different. And this is going to lead to folks who are looking to run for office. Hey, do I want to represent a district that's 75 miles long? Or if I'm Congressman Tim Wahlberg, for him to make a round trip in his district, that's eight hours of windshield time, eight hours of driving to get from Monroe um, over here to New Buffalo. It changes the whole idea of accessibility, which is right. what constituents and voters need is, and deserve out of their elected officials. I mean, is he going to have an office over here? Is he going to have a district office in Berrien County? He's got 10 counties, can't have an office in every one of them. Oh. I mean, there are some folks that would probably feel left out. And as I looked at it, and I know this was a tough job for this group. I mean, you got to come in and, and look at all this data, and they were throwing voting trends and all these different numbers at them and uh, lots of, believe me, there were a lot of special interest groups and just citizens who got involved in this process. I think that part was good that, that there were that many people weighing in on it. Um, though some, some of the special interest groups, they did it for a reason, right? They mm -hmm. wanted to carve the map a certain way to, to make it one partisan bend or the other. Um, I don't think there is a perfect way of doing this. Um, I think if you follow the standards, both the APOL standards and the Voting Rights Act, you can come up with a good map. I think if you look at what happened in the 2018 elections, 
Um, Democrats took five state Senate seats. They took five uh, House seats. They took a couple of congressional seats. Those were in what some folks called gerrymandered districts. Well, they weren't gerrymandered very good then if that many seats were lost by one side. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, voters move around within the 10 years that right. lines are drawn. Areas evolve, they change, they yeah. develop, the demographics shift. Um, and so what starts as a, a seat that is a percentage in this direction changes and changes quickly sometimes, um, even between cycles, between a two-year cycle, if you're talking about the state house. This seems like a good time to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about redistricting. Are you interested in helping to spread the word about your organization? Research shows that podcasting is one of the most effective ways to build trust with an audience. And we'd love to help you tell your brand story to audiences in Southwest Michigan. Just send an email to podcast at smrchamber.com and we'll talk with you about the best way to use this medium to connect deeply with audiences through the Your Voice for Business podcast from the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber. Again, that's podcast at smrchamber.com. And we're back to our interview with Connexus Vice President of Government Affairs, Al Pashalka. So talk a little bit about, um, to back up, about that citizen's petition drive. What was the impetus? What changed things to get this current process where nonpartisan folks are drawing the lines as opposed to legislators? Yeah, there was a national movement, really, to, to put as many of these independent uh, commissions together. And it was actually a referendum. So citizens went out, they gathered signatures, and they put on the ballot um, an, an independent redistricting commission that would be made up of 13 people. And I thought it was very, very clever how they set this up, how it was established. Um, they called it voters, not politicians. I think that's one of the best and, and most clever marketing political slogans I've heard in maybe the last 20 years, I mean, who doesn't like voters more than politicians? I mean, Amen. absolutely. Amen. <laughs> None of us like those dirty politicians. <laughs> voters, not politicians. Great slogan. Went out. They got the signatures. They got it on the ballot. And it passed. And it passed relatively easy. I think it was 63-37. Might have been 61-39. Somewhere in there. It was, it was the low 60s. So it passed in 2018. And it meant that the redistricting, reapportionment, would go to this independent commission made up of 13 individuals, five independents, four Republicans, four Democrats. There was a lot of controversy around who the independents were. I mean, boy, they were vetting people and digging into who did you write a check to and how did you vote? And I mean, it, it, it's hard to find someone who's truly independent, who mm-hmm. doesn't lean one way or the other. So they come up with this 13-member of the commission. But the one thing that concerned me, Arthur, right off the bat was when I looked at where those folks were from and I didn't see any representation from West Michigan or Southwest Michigan. Most of these folks were from Lansing to the East. And as we looked at the final product of the map, it had just my, my take on it. And as you look at it, it's almost like they ran out of room when they got down to, you know, West of, of, mile marker 75 on I-94. That's not Indiana. I had to remind folks in the legislature of that. Hmm. We're not Indiana. That's Southwest Michigan. 
And it was like we were jammed up against the lake and they sent a state rep seat like a caterpillar to the north and they built a congressional seat along the southern border to the east and the west and said, okay, that's good. We used up all the space. The numbers seemed to work. We got the right amount of people. Let's call it a day. It was almost like we were jammed up against Lake Michigan and whatever was left over was kind of carved up. An afterthought. Yeah, it was almost like an afterthought of, well, yeah, we're over here to the west side now. And you know, will we get, how many more seats do we need and how many people we got? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do it that way. I'm sure it was a lot more sophisticated than that. But as you looked at the last couple of maps, and you and I have had this discussion on the congressionals, is that two of the three congressional maps broke Berrien County in two. Um, you know, Berrien County's always been in its own congressional seat. Um, used to be the old fourth was part of going over to Hillsdale, coming up to Holland. This one is just straight across to Monroe. I mean, love the folks in Monroe, have visited Monroe. Does Monroe have a lot in common with Berrien County? Other than they both have a nuclear plant, I don't, I can't think of anything. It's it's hard. They got Lake Erie. We got Lake Michigan. Yeah, it, (laughs) it is hard to find a common definition of community of interest uh, where on one hand you could say part of Berrien County has more in common with Monroe County than with the other part of Berrien County. And so wrapping your mind around what is a community of interest? What's the rationale behind some of this? Were there folks with the understanding of our communities Drawing these lines, these are all great questions to ask. The question I have, um, once, you know, say the, uh, the courts take these lawsuits seriously from the legislators on the east side of the state, and I hope that they do because there, there are some issues with the way those districts were drawn. Once you start pulling at that thread, is it possible, hypothetically, for that thread to unravel what our maps look like over here? Yeah, no, this is a picture of cat playing with a ball of yarn. And when you pull that first thread out of that ball, it just starts to unravel. You raised a really good point, though, on communities of interest. And I think where if they could go back and do it again, and I would encourage them to even do it now, they didn't have a clear definition of what a community of interest is. If they could have done that, I think that would have been helpful. But they never really had a clear definition on what a community of interest is. Um, I know we had uh, friends of ours that said, well, are gun owners a community of interest? Well, yeah, but I mean, that could be the whole state, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, yes, that's a community of interest. Okay. Agriculture, is that a community of interest? Yes, it is. But they carved up ag communities and precincts like crazy. It seems like that was a utility term of sorts to justify however it was they were drawing it, right? So that caterpillar up the lake shore, you're using the fact that all those communities touch Lake Michigan as the community of interest. That 10 county congressional district, <laughs> the community of interest is border counties, I imagine, or I, yeah, I or guess two yeah. Great Lakes. I don't really know. Well, and it's interesting because those borders are different. They borders Ohio and they border Indiana. Different competitors, as you know, in economic development, different competitors, both really tough competitors with Michigan. But 
completely different. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how this all unravels. But but it is this is an important topic not only for you to bring up, but I think as as businesses, as listeners, as members of the chamber. I mean, this is why you do need to stay involved on these types of issues because it does impact your business as well and impacts the future of the state. Hopefully, this won't be a big controversial issue going forward for the next 10 years. Um, Maybe it can be modified or fixed over the next two years. We have seen in North Carolina, they've had three different maps over three different cycles. They're trying to get it right. Um, But it's, it's a difficult process. It's not easy. Hey, hats off to the folks that did serve, but I, I think you whiffed here. Um, it was a tough process. I understand that. Uh, but, boy, you look at southwest Michigan, and we really got carved up in so many different directions. Boggles the mind. Crazy. Boggles the mind. So let's recap real quick what it means for our uh, current crop of legislators, starting with Congress. We're going from one congressman and Fred Upton to two. You already mentioned uh, Congressman Wahlberg will represent the south part of Berrien County, probably the majority of the land mass. And then what congressman would be to the north? So Congressman Upton and Congressman Heisinger from Zealand were uh, written into the same district. So those two uh, be interesting to watch what's going to happen there. They are in the same seat. Uh, We saw the same thing over on the east side with uh, Congresswoman Lawrence, Congresswoman Tlaib, and Congresswoman Lawrence decided to retire. Mm-hmm. So she was the only African-American member of the Michigan delegation. We lose her and uh, former Mayor Southfield, a good lawmaker, and she's decided to retire rather than run in a district that's completely different from, from where she was. So we've got Heisinger and Upton in what's now the fourth congressional district that takes in one-third of Berrien County, Van Buren County, and then over to Kalamazoo, up into Allegan a little bit. Um, so part of probably 60, 65% of Upton's district, maybe 30, 35% of Heisinger's district. Mm-hmm. They're both in the same seat, um, both Republicans. We'll have to see. Um, Congress, Congressman Heisinger's already announced. He's in. Mm-hmm. He's going to run. Uh, we're waiting to hear from Congressman Upton. He's you know, had some messages out on social media, but has not decided yet uh, whether he's going to seek another term. So we've got Wahlberg to our south. Upton and Heisinger will kind of battle it out for that that fourth congressional seat. Now, going down to the next level, state Senate, we, we're going from one state senator in Kim Lasada, who uh, lived in the northern part of the Senate district here in Berrien County, to two, who is the other state senator. So the other state senator is uh, Senator Nesbitt, a guy that I served with in the House for six years. He's from Lawton. Uh, he's represented Van Buren County for the last 10 years in the in the legislature. So he gets the northern part of Berrien County all the way down to actually Lincoln Road. So he goes all of Lincoln Township north would be part of his district in all of Van Buren County. And then he's got a little piece of I think he's got a little piece of Kent mm-hmm. and a couple of townships in Allegan as well. Mm-hmm. So Nesbitt moves into that northern Berrien County seat. Lasada would be in the southern part 
Um, and her district is, I mean, just that's the one we talked about. Berrien, Cass, St. Joe, Branch, uh, part of Calhoun, part of Jackson. So she's going to have seven counties to the south. It would also, I mean, her staff has said that she'll, she'll have to move. Mm-hmm. So she's talked about moving to possibly Niles. Um, and because you do have to reside in the district that you represent. Right. Yeah, and these districts, I mean, folks will make the argument that they're not gerrymandered, but they sure are meandering, I would say. <laughs> uh, finishing up with the state house, um, as you well know, there used to be two legislative districts, one representing North County, so to speak, one representing South County. Those used to be the 79th, yours, and the 78th. Yeah. And we're going from two to three. Yeah, we're going to have three different seats. So we talked about the one snaking up uh, the Lakeshore, the Caterpillar District, going from New Buffalo to um, just south of Saugatuck, taking in Douglas. That is now an open seat. So folks are interested in running for state rep. Um, That seat is open. There will be no incumbent. Uh, Pauline Wenzel has part of Berrien County, but she is now uh, where she lives takes in all of Van Buren, a little chunk of Allegan, and very little of Berrien, just basically where she lives, Bainbridge Township, mm-hmm. um, Water Valite, that's about it. And then all of Van Buren, which used to be Beth Griffin, um, and a little bit of Allegan. And then the southern part of Berrien County, that's the one seat that really didn't change much. It's southern Berrien and kind of uh, western Cass County. That district... Uh, really didn't change too much. That's where uh, Representative Paquette resides. So we've got three Berrien County seats instead of two, uh, depending on where you live, right? So, I mean, if you live in uh, where I do, I mean, if you live in Lincoln Township, I really do. I, I have the app. I may not have anyone from Berrien County representing me in the state house, the state Senate, or in Congress. No one from Berrien County. And, and I live in mm-hmm. the center of Berrien County. <laughs> and it's it's possible that yeah. no one representing Berrien County will live in Berrien County on, until you get all the way down to county commissioners. It's it's fascinating. So you mentioned uh, District 38 is an open seat, which means unless somebody moves, which isn't looking likely, at least at this moment, you know, there's going to have to be someone that steps up. We've had, I think, two at this point announced formally on the Democratic side, none on the Republican side, regardless of the party, what would you, what would be the first two questions you'd ask somebody considering a run for their office? Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a couple of things. One is why do you want to do it? And um, having served as a recruiter for house Republicans, um, that's always an interesting question and folks have lots of different reasons, but some folks will um, knock themselves out just when they ask, answer that one. So why do you want to serve? And always the second question that I asked folks is, what does your spouse think? And the third question was, how hard are you going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, because these campaigns, as you know, um, can not only be expensive, but they're time consuming. And you've really got to get out in front of folks, knock on their door, meet them, find out what their issues are, connect with them and ask for their vote and their support. And um, even during the pandemic, and I knocked a few doors for a couple of people during the pandemic, 
I found that that Michigan people, and Southwest Michigan people in particular, were really nice, right? Don't worry about knocking doors. No one's going to yell at you. No one's going to. A lot of times they don't answer the door. You can see them in there. Hmm. But most folks are going to come out. And what I noticed last year was people just wanted to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm like, geez, we haven't connected with anybody in a long time. And when you knock on somebody's door and you hand them a brochure and you get a chance to meet them and connect with them as people, that's what, that's what you have to do in order to get elected to a state house or a state Senate seat. So yes, it does take a lot of time. It is time consuming. Maybe that's not the most technological way to do it, but I'll tell you what, Arthur, it is still the way to win. It is the best way. And what you learn talking to voters, talking yep. to those constituents is just invaluable because you could go in having, having really studied the communities you're about to represent and kind of build your own platform and what you think they'll want to hear. And you knock 10 doors and you'll have 10 different things that aren't on your list. Yeah, that you didn't even think. Exactly. I mean, issues that you haven't even thought about. We used to knock doors actually um, in off years. And I'll never forget, I had this nice older lady. She said, didn't I just vote for you? What are you doing back on my door? It's not an election year. And I said, exactly. It's not an election year. I want to see what issues you got on your mind. Is there anything I can help you with? And she's like, just, she goes, I'll always vote for you. Just get out of here. Wait for what it was like. But it was, uh, and you do, you learn so much yeah. about, about, about people. And, and one of the great stories I had was I knocked on somebody's door the first term. And uh, again, uh, a lady who was in tears because her grandkids and her kids couldn't find jobs in Michigan. And when I knocked on her door the last term, completely different. They had found jobs in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Things were headed in the right direction. She was happy. She said, I get to see my grandkids every day. And that's what really makes it worth it. That's beautiful. And, and I think the message there is in order to lead, you have to first listen, right? Yeah. You put in the work. Um, and there's a difference between running and running the right way. And I think you're a great example of running and serving the right way. And you were a key part of that comeback that Michigan had after the, the crash in 08. Yeah. Um, a key part of the policies that drove our state forward. So, you know, on behalf of our members and the Southwest Michigan business community and Michigan's business community, I want to say thank you. Um, we appreciate your service. Thank you for the breakdown today. It's been a pleasure having you on. It was an honor to serve and uh, thank you, Arthur. Thanks for listening to the Your Voice for Business podcast from the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber. You can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we'll talk to you again soon.